Om Asatoma Sadagamaya Tamasomaham Jyotirgamaya Mrityormam Amritam Gamaya Avir Ahavir Maedhi Rudra Yate Dakshinam Mukaha Tenamaham Pahinityam Om, lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness unto light. Lead us from death to immortality. And reach us through and through ourselves. And evermore protect us from ignorance by thy sweet, compassionate face. So my subject this morning is inviting intuition. Intuition is a subject that is wrapped in mystery and that has many interpretations. This morning I'm speaking from the point of view of yoga psychology. There is one universal cosmic intelligence. That intelligence manifests in man as reason. Involved or devolved reason is called instinct. Evolved reason is called intuition. So we have three ways of knowing. Instinct, reason, and intuition. The eye of the flesh, the eye of the mind, and the eye of the spirit. Let's begin with instinct. Instinctive intelligence. What Swami Vivekananda called unconscious thought. The unconscious is an information processor that's always at work computing, factoring in information from, well, perceptions, um, the subconscious, the unconscious, the organic, the cellular level, integrating that with all the sum total of our past experiences, our inner nature, and generating in the end, that's the input, generating in the end a kind of subliminal feeling, manifests as a kind of subliminal feeling, what we might call a gut feeling, in our awareness. Sometimes people 
when they have such a feeling, they refer to it as, uh, they hear it as kind of like an inner voice, um, almost like an inner guide that's prompting us to act. Now, animals are act immediately and are completely determined by this inner prompting. They act instinctively. But the rational mind of man um, sometimes begins to process those feelings. This instinctive intelligence, this inner voice, sometimes it's called women's intuition. That's because in, by conventional wisdom, I mean, we never talk about men's intuition. Right? <laughs> so by conventional wisdom, women are more open and more receptive to, I mean, in interpersonal transactions, are more open and more receptive to emotions and feelings and nonverbal cues, and uh, maybe they're more empathetic. And when, that, when those feelings become even more conscious and are integrated, we could say that such a person has emotional intelligence. A person with emotional intelligence is a person who is clearly aware of their feelings within themselves and can distinguish and identify their feelings. And they're also aware of the feelings in others and they react appropriately. Now this emotional intelligence is a kind of intuition. That is, I shouldn't say that. I should say, that this emotional intelligence is like intuition. It's like intuition in that it's experiential and it is non-rational. But this instinctive intelligence, that is to say, this unconscious, pre-rational instinct, is not the same as superconscious, transrational intuition, which is our subject this morning. Now, at a higher level of our knowing, we have three kinds of knowing. We have instinct, reason, and intuition. Let us look at reason. Reason is a higher level, higher evolution a way of knowing that transcends mere experience and they can frame that experience in the form of conceptual reasoning. Reason just means that we have the ability to think, to conceptualize, to abstract from particulars in a general, 
form words, concepts, make judgments, organize those judgments in the form of a, of a rational progression of thought, and arrive at knowledge. Reason, we could say, is the logos within us. We were created in the image of God. In the beginning, there was the word that is the logos. And we have within us that rational faculty. And because we have the logos within us, we can see the logos everywhere around us. That is, we can make sense of the world. We can make it, the world is intelligible to us. We can find reasons and we can understand the world around us. We can know what's happening around us. It's this reason that really makes us human. It's the fact that we can know and name things that differentiates us. That is the, the, that's the Rubicon that uh, animals distinguish us from the animal kingdom. And although man is sometimes called the rational animal, we really wouldn't, <laughs> we really didn't think of a, of a human being as an animal. That's because there's something which distinguishes us from animals. Uh, and that is reason. Now, although reason lifts us above mere experience and instinctive knowing and feeling, characteristic of the lower mind, called the manas in yoga psychology, although it lifts us above that level, it has its own limits. Reason has limits. Birds cannot fly without wings, and uh, mathematicians cannot compute without numbers. And so man also reason, cannot reason without words. And words are like boxes. And thinking is just putting things and categorizing, pigeonholing things in different different levels of higher generalizations, the different boxes. And um, as long as we can do that, we can think. That's what thinking is. It's just adding and subtracting things, putting things in one box, taking them out of one, putting them in another box. And so that is the limitations of reason. That is, we can't think outside the box. Now, there's a higher level of knowing. We have instinct, we have reason, and we have intuition. Now, what is intuition? Well, it's just the capacity to know without using, the without knowing without the mediation of the senses and without the... Um, rational progression of the mind without without that is it's supersensuous and it's transrational 
this is the, we can't call it a faculty, because really it's part of the buddhi, and I gotta start using Sanskrit words here. The idea is, is that there, we have an intellect, that is the reason. This is evolved reason. This does not contradict reason. The intuition doesn't contradict reason. It's a, it's a maturation and evolution of reason. That is to say, it's not a separate faculty within us. Reason is just our capacity to know. How can we know things? That's because we are light. What does to know mean? To know just means is that we shine a light on something. We become aware of it. That means that we know it. So our own in, in, inherent innate capacity to know without any upadhis, that is with this, without any intermediate, intermediary. We have the capacity to know things directly and immediately. And um, so although we're calling it intuition as if there's a third thing, it's really just an ability, a natural ability that we have. Our intuition, that is this ability to know things immediate directly, without the help of any dispense with our eyeglasses and all of our thinking and our, our eyes and our ears. An intuition, let's try to characterize an intuition, a true intuition, as distinguished from the word as used in common parlance, yogi, from the yogic point of view we're speaking this morning, an intuition is super sensuous. That is, it's not, it's not, it's not perceived through the five senses or through the, the, the functioning of the sixth, what is sometimes called ambiguously, the sixth sense, that is the manas, identified with subconscious perception and not knowing through um, logic or rational thought. It's super, it's, so it's super sensuous. That's a characteristic of a true intuition. A true intuition is not instinctive. It's, not an, it's an experience, but it's not it's not, a, that is to say, it's a transrational. I'll give a second, second character, characterization here of an intuition. An intuition. An intuition is transrational. What does that mean? It means you don't have to think it through. You don't have to go through all the progression of thinking. Let me give you an example just that comes to mind of an intuition. An example that's a favorite example that's given in the philosophy of mind. And it's about a, 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 a physicist. Her name was Mary. And Mary was a world-renowned um, authority on the physics of, of opt, on optics. She, had, uh, she knew everything there was to know about how we see things and process and the wavelengths of light, and she'd written books about it, and people all over the world would consult with her. But Mary had, uh, 
She'd never, she'd grown up in a, in, in a, an environment in which she, uh, it was a black and white environment. Uh, maybe she just wore white dresses uh, and uh, black shoes. That's all she had. Well, maybe she had a black and white TV. Everything in her room was just black and white. There was no color. And so like this, she grew up and she became this authority on, uh, on, on spectral analysis and optics. And she knew everything there was to know, really, about color. And time passed until one day she decided to step outside of her room. And she went over the door and she opened the door and she walked out and there she found herself in the garden and the sun was shining and the birds were singing. And there she saw that there were some flowers and there was a beautiful red rose in bloom in her garden. And she stopped and she looked and she opened her eyes wide and she was stunned and amazed because she thought, now I know what a red rose is. Now I know what red means. End of story. <laughs> That's the thought experiment in the philosophy of um, philosophy of mind. And the question is, what did she know? That is, she did, it's not just a sensation, because she knew all about sensations. She knew all about the biology of, know, of how we see things. She knew everything in the books. She had all the book knowledge. She had all the information. And yet she's having a, uh, a cognitive knowledge in her mind. I know. That is, a conscious being, a, a, a conscious knower. There is a conscious knower. That is an intuition. She's having intuitive experience of the color red. Now, this is an analogy for intuition. It's an analogy that's very, that, that, that is, that is uh, analogy. The analogy here, it's like intuition. That is to say, it is, it's, it's, non, it's, not, it's not derived from logical uh, thinking, and yet it is, it's also not, remember, uh, uh, intuition is supersensuous. Now you can see, now what is this red? This sounds like a sensory experience. Now, see the analogy here is, is that we see things like as we talk in Vedanta says, when you realize Brahman, you realize your true self, you realize your true nature, you realize the ultimate spirituality, and it is as, as tangible, it's an experience like seeing a mango in the palm of your hand. Now we've all held a mango in the palm of our hand. And yet we haven't had a have we had we haven't had a spiritual intuitional experience. That's because this is an analogy. The analogy is about immediate direct experience. Take that out of the analogy. And of a conscious knower is an intuition. Intuition happens as something where we grasp 
the ob the thing in itself. You know the th contrary, contrary to the uh, great philosopher Immanuel Kant. We can know things in themselves. We can grasp immediate. We have the power, that is, or in our in our, it's a power of our our own natural awareness, that we can know things immediately. We don't have to go through the whole process of reason. See, reasoning is a slow, uh, heavy process. It's like a guy who, they mountain, two mountain climbers, they come to a, to a stream, swiftly flowing stream. And one mountain climber, he's kind of tired out, and he's kind of, uh, he's kind of overweight, and he's heavy to go. He has to very, it's very difficult for him to do. Uh, slowly, he's going to try to find his way, pick his way across that stream, stream by finding little rocks or stones and so slowly he jumps from one stone to another meanwhile his companion yeah he's in good shape he just takes a running jump and jumps right over the stream that's like intuition reasoning intuition intuition grasps something immediately directly doesn't have to go through the, through the progression of thought. Doesn't have to read all the books. Doesn't have to see or hear or touch anything. It just knows. An intuition, an intuitional experience is a noetic experience. In noetic is a kind of a buzzword today, but it just means knowing. It's a it's about it's about that is, it's, some, it's an experience that gives you knowledge. Intuition is when you, uh, that is, the light bulb goes on. That's, that's, the common, that's the common image. Light, of course, it, the reason why we use that image of the light bulb going on is because light is, means knowledge. Light removes ignorance. Light removes darkness. And therefore, when we... Um, Therefore, the knowledge, the intuitional, a true intuitional spirit is a noetic experience. That is, it gives us knowledge. It gives us axiomatic knowledge. It gives us knowledge. It, it's, doesn't, it's not, it doesn't give us, um, it doesn't give us a, uh, an idea. It's not just a bright idea. It's not just a guess. It's not an imagination. This is not imagination. This is gnosis. Greeks call it gnosis. This is knowledge in the platonic sense of the term. This is true axiomatic knowledge. This is, this is a knowledge of principle. It can be a principles, everything you can explain, everything by the principle, but you can't really explain the principle. The principle is given. It's immediate. It's known. It's, it's known it's obvious. It's like in math, you know. The Euclidean axioms are all indubitable proofs. They don't need to be proved. This is why a true intuition comes as knowledge. It comes suddenly. It comes as a surprise. It comes as an aha experience. It comes as a kind of a, we could say, it's a revelation. It's an epiphany. It's a stroke of genius. 
That's what genius is. Genius is just somebody who can see the unity and the diversity. That's all. He can grasp the whole. Who can see the, uh, you know, the grasp the one in the many. So this is an intuition. So we try to explain what is intuition. Um, intuition is just the innate power, the innate the ability that you have to know things directly. That's all. Let me give you an examples. I'll give you a couple examples here of intuition. The most famous one, of course, probably is the is the um, account of the Greek mathematician Archimedes, who was an inventor and an architect, and and uh, one day he was uh, called for into by the king. It was a king of that city-state in Greece. Uh, and the king had, had a gold, golden crown. He had given a certain amount of gold to a goldsmith in order to fashion a golden crown. He knew the weight of the gold that he'd given to the goldsmiths, and the, goldsmith, and it came, the crown came back, weighed the same, but the king... Um, he suspected that um, that the gold had been debased. You know, this is a big, a big problem in ancient times. Big problem in, in even even in the modern in England, coins were debased. That means people would melt down the gold coins. They'd add some nickel to it or some bronze, and they'd reissue the coin, stamp it again, and there they were. And similarly, the king, Hieros, he thought, okay, uh, he had this suspicion. So he called Archimedes, asked, can he determine, did he, or did he, is this really gold or not? Now, Archimedes, was, he thought about it, he thought, how could I tell? Uh, you take gold, you weigh the gold, you weigh, they weigh the same. He couldn't figure out how to determine whether there was some admixture, maybe of silver, in the crown. And so there he was. He thought and pondered over the problem, and he just thought day and night. If I, finally, one day, he kind of gave up, and he was sitting in the, in the baths of the, the old Greek, maybe in a bathtub, and there's he sit there in the bathtub. You know how when you put ice, if you have about a glass full of water, you put a, a couple ice cubes in it, the water will overflow. And uh, similarly it was, uh, Archimedes had gotten in the bathtub and the water overflowed. And suddenly he thought, it came to him out of nowhere. He just thought, yeah, you know, that gold, the density of gold is different from the density of silver. And the certain amount, a lesser amount of gold, would displace as a matter of displacement of water. That is to say, a certain amount of gold has a smaller volume than the same amount of silver. And so he could calculate uh, just by immersing that crown in the water and comparing it with original gold, he came up with what is called Archimedes' principle. 
Yeah. So he was so, he was so excited. He heard this. He saw Eureka, jumped out of the bathtub, ran naked through the streets, crying out. That was his intuition. Where did it come from? Just came out of nowhere. So really it is with the, the, the famous story about, well, about uh, Isaac Newton. Remember how Newton was one day, well, the 66. And the reason why that date is important is because that was the year in which the, um, that was the year in which the bubonic plague uh, was sweeping through Europe. And in that same, at the same time, there occurred maybe the most greatest catastrophe in urban history. That is the whole of London burned to the ground. That's the great London, great fire of London. I think that was at the end of 65. And then the plague came in. In any case, in order to get out of town, Isaac Newton left town. And he went to stay with a relative on his, their garden estate. And there he was one day, he went out into the, into the uh, orchard, sits down beneath the apple tree, and all this time, of course, he's a physicist. And he's pondering over things, physics, problems of physics. And what a big problem, big confusion. The pro people always believed, it's a why planets go around the sun. Well, Aristotle had answered that thousand years before. The reason why they went around the sun was because they liked to. Because they, that was their nature. They kind of just liked to go in circles. If there was something big that they were running around. Everyone was happy with that. Throughout the medieval, they, until people started thinking about it. And uh, era, uh, that's why Isaac Newton marks the beginning of the Age of Enlightenment. So that moment, there he is sitting, the apple falls on his head. Ah. And he told that story to like four different people. So we know that it's not just apocryphal, because it gave him the idea of the principle of uh, gravitation. Universal law of gravitation. So these are just examples of intuitions that came as a result, not as a result of thinking, not as a result of some derived from, some, from seeing something or hearing something, but because it just kind of came out of the blue. That is to say, a characteristic, the characteristic of an intuition is, is that uh, you may thinking, the harder that you think about it, the more difficult, the farther it's going to get away. It's like grasping a... I don't know, you're trying to grab hold of a butterfly or something. You get, it's impossible. And so the more you think about it, but as soon as you, you think about it, then you give up thinking about it and you relax. That's the both thing. Both these stories about these great inventors are all the same in that way is their mind was relaxed. They were thinking like, like Albert Einstein. He's digging in this garden digging up dirt with a little trowel in his garden when suddenly popped into his mind, equals mc squared. Yeah, his mind, he wasn't thinking about physics or math. So the, it just came to him when the mind was calm and the mind was relaxed 
and uh, they were completely distanced themselves from the whole process of, of rational, um, that is linear thinking. And they had that intuition. Now a further characteristic of this into a true intuition is, is that it is transpersonal. It's a transpersonal event. That is to say, all of our reasoning and all of our conscious perceiving of things that we want to go and see and hear, it's always self-serving. It's always because it's directed by our conscious conventional self that is our ego. We're looking to know, we're looking to learn, we're looking to gain knowledge, and in that pursuit, we seek out things and we perceive things. An intuition is super, um, that is, is transpersonal. It's beyond, that is to say, it's not, it can't be indexed to a particular person and their point of view. Our true intuition is universal. That is, it, ser it serves the whole of mankind. It's truth. Truth means anything that's true, everybody can know it. Everybody can benefit about it. And um, it's still going to be true. Such as transpersonal truth, it reminds us a lot of, about... Um, I look at my watch here. Because I, I, don't, I don't go over time. So I, I try to, I'm trying to, but I want to get all my stuff in. <laughs> so, okay, so it's transpersonal. It reminds, it reminds me, anyhow, of the picture of Plato. Plato's, if you read, you know, well, you're all students of Plato and the, the, the world of forms. There is a higher world. It's a world of perfect ideas. And all of those universals are universals. They are, trans, they are transcendentals. They exist in a world which is a real, they're real. See, this world is, is now I'm talking about Plato, this world is not real. This world is, is uh, he, uh, he had the uh, dualistic point of view. There's two worlds. There's the real world, and then there's this world, where everything is particular, everything is changing, and everything is, um, uh, that's nature, that's an, it can't be known. Well, could you know something? For sure, everything's changing. What you know today is, is a false tomorrow. The only thing you can know is, is ideas, and the only place where there are ideas is in that higher world. That perfect world, which is eternal, it's unchanging. Um, there's a line of uh, difference. Dividing line, that's a famous image, Plato's dividing line. The higher and the lower. Now that kind of reminds us of a teaching of Vedanta, the higher knowledge and the lower knowledge. Maybe as a Vedantin, we put, we'd, we'd put it in a little different model. We'd use a little different model. And that is we turn the model rather than have a, a, a vertically, when you're thinking like concentric circles, 
rather than going vertically upward, we could rather think in terms of yoga psychology of going inward. Think of going horizontally, inward to, in, inward to our inner self. And as you know, when you go inward, you go through levels. There's gross, just like in the external world. There's gross, there's subtle, and there's causal. These are diff different worlds. These are different planes of, of existence. So similarly, as we could imagine, using a different model than Plato, that we could go turn our mind and our attention inward. That's called introspection. And we begin to look, uh, we begin to discover inward subtle realities, and then go deeper and eat deep, more deeply inward, we would discover causal realities, that is, archetypal forms, which lie at the root of all of our particulars. See, all of our particular experiences, we, can, how, we can't make sense of them without reference, unconsciously. No, we know within the depths of our own, of our own causal self, we're aware of this higher world. We're aware of the perfect ideas, of the perfect forms. And uh, you know within yourself, Plato's example, or the, the triangle or something, you can, we've seen everything in kind of like triangles in the, in the empirical world, but you've never seen a pure triangle, and yet you know what a pure, you know what a perfect triangle is. That's because in the depths of your own, uh, uh, your own causal awareness, you have that same platonic forms. There's a whole philosophy behind this. This is a form of intuitionism. Intuitionism. That means intuitionists believe that there are some things which cannot be known by the senses. They can't be perceived by the senses. They can't be heard or seen or touched. They also cannot be known by inference, by reasoning, by logic, by logical conceptual thought. But they have to be known and grasped intuitively, immediately. That's what we call spiritual, spiritual things. This is why we, we think about our spiritual aspirants, we're spiritual aspirants. We want to realize God, and uh, we're not content to think about God. We're not content to read all the books about God. We can't see God, or, or divine, or goddesses, or anything, spiritual entities, even, uh, with our physical eyes. We can't, and, and yet... We're intuitionists. That is, we believe that we can know these things. We can know these things. Just like in ancient times, there were the rishis of ancient India. Vedanta, Vedanta, of course, just means knowledge. That's what we're talking about this morning. It means direct, immediate, intuitive knowledge. And there is a world of higher, there is a higher knowledge. It's called the Veda. Veda just means knowledge. Universal, eternal knowledge. See, knowledge, a thing is true. It's always true. It's true in the past, true in the present, fear of the future. It's eternal. 
So all the sum total of all knowledge exists in a superconscious realm. And uh, the rishis, that means the sages and the saints, they had tuned their mental radio so that they could kind of understand the meaning of the teachings of the, of the sacred texts and so that they came to intuit and to realize the truths that, were, that are described in the Upanishads, that is, in the Vedanta philosophy. So this is, this is a goal. The goal here is the philosophy. All knowledge, all, knowledge, all the knowledge comes to us. All knowledge exists in the superconscious. Superconscious means it's beyond supersensual, supersensuous, transrational uh, knowing. The superconscious, we could say, is um, the mind of God, is God's mind. We could say that the God's mind is like um, uh, so I'm trying to think, trying in my mind to think of this weird idea of Sri Aurobindo. Oh yeah, the supermind. This is not the supermind. Don't get this confused. This is not the supermind. This is the superconscious. The superconscious means the space of consciousness. It's the causal space, the spiritual space, in which everything exists and has its being. That's called the chidakasha. All of our inspirations that come to us, come to us from real true inspirations, come to us from the superconscious. They come down from on high. And... Um, The superconscious is not something that's up there. It is within us. That is, it's, it, it, it is our own, it, it's our own nature to know such things. If we could just remove all the upadis, if we could just remove all of the intermediaries and all the crutches and the helps that we use to try to understand things, get rid of all that stuff, then all this would become clear. We don't just know it intuitively. That is why Swami Vivekananda says there's no such thing as inspiration. Because by inspiration, the etymology of the word means, sounds like it's come from like one of the muses. You know, the Greeks believed in the nine muses. So where does your inspiration come from? Well, you're visited by a goddess from outside. There is no inspiration in this sense, only it comes from within. It's expiration. That is, it's, it's it's inner knowing. Now we may ask the question, how can we know? Then how can we get inspired? This may be our quest, spiritual aspirants. We're interested in, well, that sounds good. How can I get inspired? And, uh, well, sometimes people have get into altered states and things just pop into their head. And they have a kind of a, uh, they have a, a, a peak experience. It just happens. 
They just stumble on a higher truth. That sometimes happens. But it's a very erratic, unreliable way to get inspired. The only the, the way to get inspired is to undertake the practice of Raja Yoga, which is the science of intuition. It's a methodical, uh, progressive way, the scientific way, of cultivating the, uh, the higher intuition. Now, all of you know about Raja Yoga, the great path of meditation. Interior, it's all about bright idea, turning your attention within. What an amazing, stunning idea. Introspection. This is, this is the whole science of Raja Yoga. How can we refine our, the, develop the intuition? Remember, the intuition is nothing in itself. It's just yourself. The question is not how you develop intuition. The question is how can you get rid of all the stuff that is, that, that's blocking you from seeing. You can see all this stuff naturally. The goal of Raja Yoga, that is the means of Raja Yoga, the whole of the progression of Raja Yoga, is all about developing the third eye of intuition. This is the old mystic image comes from ancient times, from yoga and from the tantras. And uh, Western theology, kind of first maybe St. Bonaventura talked about those three eyes of knowing. The eye of the flesh, which we know, that is to say our sense, our, our physical eyes by which we see sensibilia, the St. Bonaventura speaking in Latin, sensibilia. That is sense objects. That's what we see with the eyes of the senses. Then there's the eye of the mind by which we perceive intelligibilia. That is things, that is our thoughts, rational thoughts. But then there is this higher knowing, which is the eye of the spirit by which we can see transcendalia. That is transcendental things. That is spiritual things by which we can see spiritual things. And the goal of spiritual life and the goal of yoga, that is to say the highest stage of yoga, that is the science of intuition, really. It's the science of how to find, how to, how to develop your power of inspiration, your natural inspiration. The goal is samadhi. Samadhi just means superconsciousness. Swami Vivekananda, the way Swami Vivekananda used the word in its technical uh, term, the technical sense, the samadhi is, a, is, is super consciousness. That means different kinds of samadhi. That is, if when you see, if you meditate on your Ishta Devata, that maybe in the course of time that you will have a vision of your chosen idea, your ideal is not just to think about your god or your goddess or some spiritual ideal. You don't want to just think about it. You want to actually have immediate, direct, personal experience of it. And one day, the yogis say that in the uh, Savikalpa Samadhi, that we have an immediate, direct experience of God. We're looking at God face to face. 
We meet God, like Sri Ramakrishna. You read in the life of Sri Ramakrishna. He met the Divine Mother face to face and talked to her. And, uh, but it's as if still in this samadhi, it's still as if you're seeing God uh, through a glass, through a clear glass, right? You're not seeing through a glass darkly anymore. You're seeing through a clear glass, but there's still a separation. That's why it's not the highest samadhi. It's not the highest state of super consciousness. It's not the highest intuition. There's a higher intuition. Higher intuition is when you realize that the object of your meditation, that is you realize the thing in itself, you realize the, the meaning of what you're meditating on. And what is the meaning? The meaning is just yourself. The analogy given there, I'll give you my analogy here by Dr. Dr. by Professor Searle. The guy, there's a guy there in New York City. He's walking down the street. This is how it happens. He's walking down the street. He's looking in the store windows. He stops there before a big glass window. He looks in, peers in through the window, and there he sees there's people inside. He sees the man inside. And there that man, he see, he looks more closely. He sees his pants are on fire. And he's shocked, and he cries out on the street, that man in there, his pants are on fire. <laughs> and then he looks down, and he sees that it's his own pants are on fire. <laughs> he's looking at, he's seeing a reflection in the mirror. Ouch. That's intuition. That's the highest, that's called samadhi. That's called aparokshanubhuti. That's called direct, immediate perception. And that's what in yoga, that's what is called enlightenment. That is the goal of our spiritual life. The subject next Sunday is we, the people. And Swami Sarvadevananda will speak. Om Dyo Hoshantihi. Antariksha Hamshantihi, Pritivi Hishantihi, Apa Shantihi, O Shadaya Shantihi, Vanaspataya Shantihi, Vishwe Hideva Shantihi, Brahma Shantihi, Sarava Shantihi, Shantireva Shantihi, Same Shantirehi. Om Shantihi, Shantihi, Shantihi. Om, peace is in heaven, peace is on the earth, peace is in the sky and in the waters. The herbs and plants and trees are full of peace. The gods are peaceful. May this eternal universal peace enter our souls and beings. Om, peace, peace, peace be unto us all.